two years ago, not long before I first saw the profile for Lindfield, I'd been to the opticians and I'd got some new glasses. Maybe it helped me read the profile in a, <laughs> a new way. But while I was at the optician, he explained that as I was getting older, my eyes were changing. And I wasn't just short-sighted anymore. There was a little bit of long-sightedness coming in. Eyes were changing. And it was heading for the time that I would need reading glasses. So on the prescription, there was a little bit written on. But I said, that's that then. You know, next time I might have to get a pair of reading glasses as well. A month ago, in preparation for coming back here, and with Emily nagging me because she'd never have liked that pair of glasses that I'd managed to get without her being present at the time I said, I'll have them. Uh, I went off to the optician. And the optician looked at my old script that I'd taken with me and commented, saying, oh, can I just have a look at them? Uh, I want to just check the very focals. And I went, oh, no, these are single vision glasses. And she went, no, they're not. They're very focals. I went, no, 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 no. They wrote a bit on the script, but I got sick. And she gave them a wipe, because that's the other thing about my glasses. They're usually dirty. Even five seconds after wiping them, they're just filthy. And she went, no. They are very focals. And I went, oh. So the past two years, I have been looking at things, imagining that I have had just my old normal short-sightedness, but actually, I've been looking at things through a better lens than it could possibly have been. I did wonder why, when I tried to look at stuff without my glasses on, I was struggling a bit. I'll give you that. But the lenses were doing their job, even though I didn't even realize I was wearing them. What we see of the world, we see through a lens that's made by the experiences we have had, the people that we have met, the worship that we have brought, or not, as the case may be. The left wing accused the BBC of right-wing bias, always attacking Jeremy Corbyn, those on the right counterclaim that it's full of liberals. 
somewhere in the middle there might be truth. You might look at the village of Lindfield, the town of Hayward's Heath, even the southeast of England, and because of the lenses you have, you see certain things. But other people with different lenses will see something else. They don't see the same old thing that you see. This passage today asks us to look again at where we live and what our life is like and consider where we are within it. To take our glasses off, check that the prescription's right, give them a bit of a wipe and put on and go, ah, Maybe there is something that's different. The issues here are the issues of the world today, just as they were 2,000 years ago. Brothers and sisters supposed to be in fellowship. Hospitality of strangers. Sex outside of a marriage, issues with wealth and greed, it seems that nothing changes. But we can be changed. We've just seen in the video how people's lives are changed through the work of CAP, but also through other charities too. Through churches, taking the gospel and applying it. So let's dig deeper and see what the passage says. The first two verses talk about love. Brotherly love, keep on loving each other. And not to forget to entertain strangers. In the Greek, there's two words that are used. One in verse 1, one in verse 2. The first one, the brotherly love is Philadelphia. Not that soft, creamy cheese, but that's probably love. Philadelphia. Philo being love. The second verse has philoxenia. Love of strangers. It says in our translations, don't forget to entertain strangers. Perhaps in a slightly newer NIV, because the NIV keeps changing a little bit, it says about hospitality to strangers. Don't forget to have. But actually it's more than that. It's about the love we have. And I think the writer of the letter to the Hebrews has put these next to each other in two separate verses 
Philadelphia, Philizenia, so that you see that they are together. That there's almost no difference there. The love you are to have as a fellowship for one another, as brothers and sisters, as a community, is the same sort of love that you must have for that person that you don't know. The stranger. They go in harmony. Now, some might try to tell you that the stranger here is intended to be believers from another community. But there's no actual restriction on that. Do we call other believers strangers? No. We tend not to. The word philozenia is like the opposite to xenophobia. It's the same basic root, but one's a love, one's a hatred, a fear. And so it puts the emphasis far more on the love of those who are completely different, a different creed, a different race, a different nationality. And so perhaps our philozenia, hospitality to the stranger, to entertain them, doesn't get quite near what the writer was intending. The understanding that we must have here, that the Bible is trying to teach us, is that we love them the same way as we love our community. And the writer of Hebrews puts it further. He says, you don't know who those people are. Now, quite often you say, oh, that's a stranger. I don't know who they are. But he takes it further. He says, they might be angels. Others have entertained angels and not realized it. And of course, our minds might go to the hospitality towards strangers that we do see in the scriptures. If we are to think of Abraham receiving three men in Genesis 18, he's there, sat in his tent, probably a slightly larger tent than the green one in my video that I occasionally sat in he sat in the tent and he looked up and saw three people coming towards him and he immediately went out and wanted to show them hospitality they went on the doorstep he went out and sought them he doesn't wait to ask if they need refreshment, he prepares it. He speaks with Sarah as he rushes out. 
and he then feeds them with bread of the finest flour and meat from a choice tender calf. He seeks the best to give to the stranger. He wants to show love. Abraham and Sarah did not know who the guest was. They did not know that that guest was even greater than an angel, that it was the Lord himself. They simply saw the men and then showed love. And that's what we're called to do in this letter to the Hebrews. The writer then speaks of those in prison. Now, at the time of writing this letter, many were being arrested. Many were being persecuted for their beliefs. And this might be a message to keep in fellowship those who are suffering because of their faith. But again, the words are not limiting it to that context, but pushing beyond it. We are to share love, imagining ourselves with them. We are to show love to those in our fellowship, those that are not in our fellowship, and love even to those who have been finding themselves in jail. But the writer then moves into the topic of inappropriate love. The writer names adultery, but makes it clear that there are other immoral sexual acts. And although some behaviour is accepted in the society of that day, he's saying, no, that's not on. And it's the same for us. Isn't it? The same for us. There are things accepted in society as the norm, but it's not for us. In the news this week, we've uh, we've seen an American presidential candidate saying, "Oh, it's just locker room talk." But that's not acceptable, is it? Even if it were just locker room talk, let alone the claims that have since been made. In this country, we've seen a footballer found not guilty of rape. But yet his defence hardly paints a good picture of himself, does it? with immoral behaviour. Perhaps nothing illegal happened, 
but that's not to say the actions were right. Judgment will come from the Lord for the immoral. But that doesn't mean to say there won't be any repercussions before that time. And the community of Christ needs to be in order. Likewise with money. Its love is also an adultery to your relationship with God. Wealth can, of course, serve the Lord's purpose. Having money in itself is not sinful. If we didn't have that wealth, we wouldn't be able to contribute to the things that we talk about as mission. We wouldn't be able to respond to a challenge to give. But we need that an awareness within us as to how we treat our finances. That we don't get carried away in just buying things for the sake of buying it. That we live within our means. Being content with what we have. Now, as the writer to the Hebrews puts this down, he's thinking of those believers as having what they need. That they're not hungry. They don't long for shelter. That those things are in place, either as individuals or can be found through the fellowship of the church. But too often, we start to define what we need beyond those basics. The new car, when our old one is fine. The way of keeping up with the next door neighbours. Flashy television, the latest mobile phone. I I have a friend um, who was my elder in the church that I candidated for ministry out of it. And this week on Facebook, he showed a photo of his work phone. Uh, He works for Airbus in quite a senior position, uh, arranging travel. And he was handing in his mobile phone to get a new one, a new one supplied to him after having used the same phone for 11 years. He said there'd been all sorts of phone calls on it, all sorts of texts. It had served its purpose well. 
It had been all he had needed. It had travelled the world with him as he'd worked for Airbus. And he was sad to see it go. It was an old friend. But sometimes such things must go. But he'd not lusted after a new phone all those years, even though he'd previously worked in an IT business. He used to work for Hewlett Packard. Um, but, you know, to see that, how many of us would go, two years contracts up, right, let's have a new phone. Now, think of what we need. Think of what is right. Think of what serves God and serves our life in the right way. Be content with what we have. Don't open the cupboard and see it full of food and say, oh, I've got nothing for tea tonight. The food is there. Some interesting statistics came out in Adrian's uh, presentation. When I was in Northampton, a governor of a primary school told me that she knew some of those children arrived at school not having had breakfast. And likewise, she strongly suspected that the kids had tea or dinner at night or supper or whatever. The word you want to choose is the meal in the evening the children ate that before going to bed, but the mum didn't. Meals were skipped. What we need to be doing is saying, I do need this, but maybe I don't need that. What we need to do as individuals and as a fellowship is continually remember that the Lord is what we need. The food will perish. The money will devalue. A wedding dinner set will be dropped on the tiled kitchen floor and crack. The pet animal will require a trip to the vets for an even more bizarre reason than the previous visit. But in all these things, God is with us. God gives us hope. He never forgets us. He never forsakes us. He never stops loving us and wanting us to be his people. He does not want us to keep doing the same old thing when that same old thing has been wrong. So do not allow the words that we share in this place to fail to move you. But listen instead to what the Lord is saying to you. 
because his love is unchanging. And wherever he calls you to go, whatever he challenges you to do, he will be with you and can give you the strength to proclaim his great and holy name. Amen.